Hi everyone, this is Jalisha from Sharebird. Thanks for being a loyal listener of our podcast. We're excited to announce that we just launched Sharebird Premium, a content library of proven playbooks, case studies, templates, and lessons learned used by product marketing leaders at the fastest growing companies, including many of who have been guests on this show. Start critical projects off right and avoid costly mistakes with Sharebird Premium. Visit sharebird.com playbooks to get access. You're losing 30% of your deals to competitors. Not cool. That competitive revenue gap is costing your business millions of dollars. So how do you tip the scale in your favor? Clue's competitive enablement platform makes it simple for product marketers and compete pros to give their revenue teams the exact right intel at the exact right time. Positioning, messaging, objection handling, and FUD. Clue shares real-time competitive insights in the places your reps already live and makes it easy for them to contribute insights from the field. Welcome back to season five of the Product Marketing Experts podcast. Today, I am really excited to have with me Julian Savage, the VP of Product, Corporate, and Brand Marketing at Clary. Welcome to the podcast, Julian. Everyone's path into product marketing is certainly a little bit different. We've heard many different paths as a course of many of the guests on this podcast. So we'd love to hear how you got into product marketing and what brought you even to Clary. Of course. Thanks for having me, Jeff, and hi, everybody. Yeah, that's right. There's no MBA for a PMM, right? And when I say that, I just realized that I put two three-letter acronyms in the same sentence. (laughs) I shouldn't have done that. But yeah, there's no school for a PMM. A few people come to PMM from a PMM background. There's no such thing. We all come to this either from product, from sales, from core marketing, from strategy, from engineering, from PM. In my case, it was pre-sales. I was a solution engineer before becoming a PMM back, I believe, 10 years ago now. And I think the bridge for me between both kind of functions was storytelling. I know it's a very common thing to say, but when you're an SE, you pitch and you storytell to one customer. And then when you're in PMM, you do that to many customers. So that was kind of my bridge and my background, if you will. That's amazing. Storytelling is the thread that ties us all together, or at least one of the threads that ties us all together, right? That's uh, right. And it's a great, amazing how that kind of blossoms into a full-blown career in PMM. And I think that brings a good point of like, and I, I believe I even gave a talk way back then about that. Nobody should ever lose sight of where they're coming from, right? The morale is use that background to your advantage. If you realize that you're good at storytelling or you're good at doing product demos because you come from SE, use that as a PMM kind of edge and advantage. If you realize you're great at brand type of stuff, then you would bring that into your PMM work. So we should all always be aware and kind of self-conscious of where we're coming from and what the edge is. I couldn't agree more. We talked a little bit here before hitting the record button, and this isn't one of the things we talked about, but you know, there's a concept of like really being a full stack marketer, so to speak. And I think that concept kind of carries into product marketing to an extent, right? You can be maybe a deep expert in storytelling or a deep expert in maybe market research or one maybe aspect of product marketing. And probably as you grow, you need to be, uh, of course, just competent, but also have a depth of expertise in many of those, but but never forget where you came from, to your point. My background is mostly core marketing, but also product. And so that's where I tend to lean a little bit. But that being said, I, I totally agree with your point. 
Sweet. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your, but I know I'm not supposed to ask questions back at you, but I That's like okay. to script sometimes. <laughs> so I was going to ask, hey, Jeff, what about you? But it seems like you <laughs> answered that. That's a good background. So I'd love to talk a little bit about product launches. Speaking of kind of one of these areas was strength. And actually, as a part of answering this question, maybe you can give a little bit of an overview about what Clary is, what you do at Clary. But you recently launched RevGPT. And I would love to get a little bit of an understanding about that launch uh, at a high level and the importance of getting ahead with AI. It seems like you are one of the first movers, if not the first mover into the AI space within your category specifically. And yeah. so we'd love to hear a little bit more about that, how you thought about it and what kind of led to that first mover. And, and for that matter, if there's been any advantages to being the first mover. Good questions. A lot of questions. So I'll make my best attempt at answering those. So first off, two words about, or a few words about Clary. We're in ref tech, revenue tech, sales tech. We're the leader in revenue collaboration and governance, which includes things like conversation intelligence, revenue operations, revenue intelligence, things like that. That's what Clary is. And now if we talk about that ref GPT launch, I think the approach we took was... Something like, okay, everybody is looking at GPT right now, right? Product and marketers for good and bad or good and less good reasons, I guess. Everybody wants to hop on that train. There's so much awareness. And we really believe, like everybody else, that the tech is amazing and disruptive. So when I was kind of like thinking about our launch and kind of strategizing that with my peers and my leaders, our POV was, okay, if all the things we've heard so far around GPT and AI, what are the three things we really don't like? And then let's create that contrast and not replicate. So we literally had a stop list of things we did not want our own GPT launch to be. And I'll tell you what these things were. One was a lot of fluff vision product and demos and things. So things aren't real. The other one was a lot of, I would say, corner use cases. People would go for GPT-related use cases, and they, those don't seem to be big and broad enough, like very niche, very corner. And the last one I remember was people would still over-index on the tech and not talk about the business outcomes as much. So fluff, not real use cases, and no real business outcomes. And I think with those kind of reverted guiding principles in mind, we launched our version of GPT, which is called RevGPT for Revenue GPT. And we were highlighting a few things that were the exact opposite of the things I said. It was successful because our GPT features went live two weeks after we launched. It was not yet another fluffy, you know, vision demo type stuff. It was real. And I think that was refreshing to people and to the audience. And it also enabled us to have a really strong CTA. Our CTA was go to whatever page and you can have a free trial. And people love that. We got over 400 free trials in two weeks, which is in our business, massive, right? Yeah. So I think the lesson learned here is we were very, you know, focused on our use case. We tried to make the launch as real as possible. We focused on the business outcome. And I think that's the reason why it was a success. There's so much noise around GPT. You got to be real. You got to be down to earth and have a clear CTA. That's amazing. And congratulations on this successful launch. It's incredible that you cut through the noise, so to speak, that clearly. And I think there's a lesson to be learned there for all of us 
in ensuring that we're positioning against some of those market principles as well, which, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think sometimes in product marketing, we take a little bit too much of what the company is doing and what's happening within our four respective walls and not enough of what's happening in the broader market. 100%. Yeah, you have to be, but it's common, right? Every B2B and maybe sometimes B2C vendor out there is so inside out all the time. And so sometimes because the market is doing one thing doesn't mean that you have to do it. Actually, it's the opposite. If they're doing one thing, you should, if everybody's going left, you should go right and be different. 100%. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And I mean, speaking of that, what are some of the differences in your mind between what makes a good launch versus a great launch? And how do you prepare your team, you know, for, I would hope a great launch? (laughs) Yeah. I like when you said good launch, because even that, like sometimes you have bad launches. Let's just take a moment of, you know, being honest and vulnerable, if you will. Sometimes we launched as PMMs, we launched stuff and it's a flop and it's okay, by the way, as long as you fail fast and you learn your lessons, right? So I was thinking about that when kind of prepping for this thing with you, Jeff. I think there's so many kind of guiding principles, but I think for me, one of the things that truly separates a good launch and a great launch is the strength of the narrative, of course, being able to level the product news. No one cares about your product out there. It has to be turned into customer value. So again, back to the inside out, outside in type thing we were just discussing. So strength of the narrative is absolutely critical. And I think alongside that, having a a rich bill of materials that caters to all the stages in your funnel. Sometimes I see, and that's such a PMME thing to do, and it kind of drives me nuts sometimes. Like we're all very product people and product centric, but you have to create a bill of material or the top of the funnel as well and have a POV on your market and whatnot, right? And that's another one that we did with GPT. It was really catering to all the stages of the funnel. So strong narrative that applies to everybody in your funnel is one big thing. I was thinking about two other big things that I think separates bad, good from great and awesome product launches. The second one is kind of pick your success criteria. PMM always goes after way too many KPIs in my book. And we're like, yeah, we're going to influence pipe and fetch awareness metrics and product adoption and win rates. And it's crazy, right? Like just pick your battles, man, and have two indicators of success, one lagging, one leading, and then you optimize your product launch with that in mind. So staying focused, focused on success metrics is my guiding principle number two. And then finally, I would say uh, the third one is planning ahead with the internal audience in mind. Sometimes we're all, again, marketers, we like to go outbound. We forget about the internal comms. We forget about the enablement piece. And so thinking through that, making sure your field can intelligently speak about your product features and your product news is absolutely crucial. So strength of the narrative, focusing on the right metrics and having the internal audience in mind would be my top three priorities here. Love those three steps. Those are really concise and a great playbook for truly a great launch. Curious about, I mean, most companies, especially at the executive level, have really opinionated teams. No, 
never right i know just speaking for myself during my time at hubspot our founders and our executive team was very opinionated about the narrative and you know yep. specific very high impact at least product launches curious about how you kind of I guess, integrate that and work, manage up, I guess, and ensure that their opinions are taken into account, but also, you know, keep the trains running on time, so to speak as well. Yeah, that's a great question. And it really is a hard nut to crack. I think confidently say that if you take 100 PMMs out there at any level and you ask them, what's the one thing you would like to change if you had a magical win, 98% or 98 people would say, internal alignment across the narrative and governance of that narrative. So very common pain. I think a good way is, and I'm going to like kind of go back to basics for a second, if that's okay, but planning ahead, defining your racy or your rapid, your whatever, like roles and responsibilities, give your execs the prescriptive information on what role they have. Is it really decision-making or is it just being consulted and give us feedback? and when we're going to include them and when they will have the chance to maybe review the next iteration and then that's it so having a clear understanding of ownership areas roles responsibilities the milestones the steps at which you will involve them or not involve them this is absolutely crucial and the other piece i think to kind of offer an alternative solution when they push for a given direction of your narrative that maybe you're not feeling great about is external data. I'm big on testing. I like doing testing either via website, via ads. If you're a little fancy, you can buy yourself a nice messaging testing platform. We're using winter.com here, winter with a Y. We're doing some focus group testing, but you don't have to be fancy. You can just be scrappy and take your top five customers and talk to them and run the narrative by them. Same, if you're lucky enough, which is our case at Clary, to have a Gartner or a Forrester subscription, you can run your narrative by the analysts. So all of that is to say that testing that out of your company and bringing that third-party data into the mix is going to be a good an ally for you to handle the objections that you might be getting from your execs. Love that advice. There's certainly a whole lot of gold in there. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into one thing you mentioned just a few moments ago, which was kind of enabling your internal teams and maybe more specifically your go-to-market teams like sales, marketing, CS, et cetera. You know, curious about some ways that you've successfully enabled those teams in the past. Those teams are obviously crucial to your go-to-market launch and clearly can spread the word faster than just a single product marketer can. And so curious how you've kind of aligned those and how you've successfully enabled those folks to tell that story out into the market. Yeah, great question. I'm going to, again, try to be such a PMM and answer with three bullets because we all know that we can't count beyond three here. Just I can't. Same here. My kids now are better <laughs> counting numbers than I do, better at math than I do, which is crazy. So I would say when it comes to like enablement around a product launch, the three things would be planning, scoping, and finding champions. So planning is really about like, you need to have that calendar locked down as early as possible and then really define what's the scope. Is it a big tier one type launch? If that's the case, then you're going to probably need a live training with all your GTM teams and maybe they'll have to take a certification 
that type of stuff. If it's a tier two, and then the scope would be a little different. You can have a learning path in your lesson V or CMS, whatever. And if it's a tier three launch, maybe it's not enablement. It's just internal comms. Like, hey, just a FYI, so you know, and here's your FAQ. Go knock yourselves out. So planning it in advance, letting them know that this is coming up, and then scoping the thing is crucial. And then the third one I was mentioning, finding your champions, like enablement. And we all know revenue teams, they don't believe marketing as much. They believe other revenue professionals. That's what they do. And I can't blame them because I do the same with my same. marketing yeah. friends, right? Yeah, we're all the same. And so finding these champions who would have tested out your messaging ahead of launch and then relying on them to kind of deliver the enablement materials and trainings and really be your kind of internal champions, your sponsors, if you will, is paramount to success. So that's my three plan, scope, and find the champions. Couldn't agree more. And especially with the champion piece and inviting them in early, you know, letting them help guide or release code deliver a lot of that enablement, at least, you know, personally speaking for myself has worked wonders in, in the past. And to your point, the rest of the sales team, whichever team it may specifically be, tends to, to believe one of their own or another revenue leader a whole lot more. And kind of along the same lines, and I don't know if it's exactly this way at Clary, but in many software companies I talk to or many PMMs I talk to, there's a lot of updates, right? The product team is shipping maybe multiple times per week, maybe even multiple times per day. And it's almost this like overwhelming amount of updates happening. And so how do you maybe ensure that the GTM teams or revenue focused teams are aware of and keyed in on the right updates without kind of feeding them all the noise and trying to make them pay attention to every little thing? Yeah, I love that question. Again, I think it's kind of like back to the cheering or the, you know, yeah, the cheer mechanism. As much as I love public velocity, you just don't want to create more noise. Sales people should be focused on one thing, setting, not getting trained on whatever net new feature is coming up every five hours. So I'm big on doing a monthly product release training so that you can bundle all those daily or weekly features into something bigger and tell a bigger story and really speak to our earlier point to the customer value, not so much to the product feature. So that's one way of doing it monthly. And then the big product launch, more as in the marketing launch, I don't want to do that more than once a quarter. I think there's something to be said about, again, the span of attention of our audience and just you know, having too many messages out there in the market. So that's kind of typically how I do it, monthly on product release and quarterly on actual product news. That way I feel like the field isn't overwhelmed, but still sees the momentum and the pace of innovation. It all depends, right? Like, of course, if you're in a more transactional business, if you're a PLG company, if you're whatever, like that will can be completely weak, but yeah. Absolutely, but I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad you said the word momentum there because I think that structure helps naturally drive a lot of momentum with your sales team, but also drive that in the market as well by talking about consistent things from month to month, but also once a quarter talking about kind of the, the, the big priority, so to speak, um, or, or the big launch, maybe I should say, from the company. Yeah. One final question that we always ask on this podcast, because we're obviously fans of continuous learning and growing and developing ourselves. What's one thing, maybe a mentor or another leader that has kind of shared with you or that you've learned from them that's really served you well in your career? Mm. 
love this question. There's so many of them. I had the pleasure of having really great, great mentors from Salesforce and Talent and Gong and now even at Carry. I would say the one thing that I can think of, at least for today, with all the themes we just discussed, is finding the right balance between differentiation and explainability. There is kind of two schools of thoughts, right, in a way. And I'm going to like oversimplify and I apologize, but that's how I'm going to do it. There's like the people who really believe that you got to create your own language and lingo and, you know, category stuff and messaging with top level messages that are very unique and differentiated. And there's another school, which is more like, okay, let's now get into the how as fast as possible so that we educate our buyers and we don't have to be fancy. So it's kind of like fancy versus back to basics, if you will. Meeting your buyer where they are on that scale, on that spectrum is probably the most important thing that I've learned. How do you find that balance? Do you over-index on uniqueness and differentiation on the left-hand side? Or do you go more into how-to, more meat and potato type of content? There's no right or wrong answer, but at least knowing where you are on that fancy to basic axis is crucial. So that's the one thing I think I have learned and have failed at sometimes, but I've learned my lesson from my past mentors. Everybody here, you think about where you are on that axis. Are you fancy or are you basic? Are you where you should be and find that balance? Maybe you need to like amp up the fanciness or, you know, tune it down a little bit, meet your buyer where they need and stay different. This is kind of my CTA to everybody. I love that piece of advice. It's definitely unique. And it's one that we all should know as hopefully if you're listening to this and you're a product marketing leader or aspiring to be a product marketing leader or maybe a business leader and you're looking towards your product marketing team, yeah, this is this is great advice that you can take and implement into your business in a pretty turnkey fashion. So thank you so much, Julian, for being with me and being on this podcast and for all your amazing wisdom and advice and best of luck to you and the Clary team. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. This show is produced by ShareRoom, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders at the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Check out ShareRoom.com.